This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Poit. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, Snowflakes. Now, in a little while, we'll talk to Jerry Scott. We're going to do a preview of Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. I'm really excited. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked and pumped for it. Yeah, good. And then, of course, we will crown another Brexiteer of the Week. But, Steve, it's sort of all kicked off, hasn't it? Well, it's all, it has all kicked off. But before we discuss the, the off-kickage in, oh, yeah. in the Cabinet, yeah. I, I, just, I want to start this week with a little story for the new European readers okay. and I went to see uh, a comeback comeback gig by the band called The The on Ooh. Tuesday night. I call them Tuta. Tuta, yeah. I, I don't know if you new European listener uh, at home are a fan of The The or familiar with their work but they were a very big band around the, the, the sort of mid-1980s. They've not played live since 2002 so it's quite a big deal uh, there is, is basically a bloke called Matt Johnson and some sidemen and he announced these dates and we managed to get tickets for the Royal Albert Hall it was 125 quid a ticket Ooh. Yeah, we were five rows from the front right? Yeah. and I figured he's not played for 16 years Yeah, fine, if that's the ticket I can get was it all seated? it was, all, it was an all seated in the Royal Albert Hall yeah, yeah. you're um, so old and uh, it's an all seated stadium yeah. and well, anyway did they take those seats out? no Yes, okay. Uh, so let's gloss over Morrissey this week, shall we? <laughs> so anyway, we're in these seats, we're five rows from the front, and Matt Johnson is about to come on, and it's about ten minutes before the start, and a bloke comes and sits in the row in front of us, and he's probably about in his 40s, I would say, and he appears to be, he's definitely European. He, I think from his accent, he might have been Dutch. Mm-hmm. He was refreshed, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Possibly chemically refreshed, ah. I would have thought. And, he's, and he sits down, I'm not going to do the accent, <laughs> but he sits down and he said something like, 
he turned round to, to, to sort of where we were sitting and sort of shouted in a loud voice. He went, Matt Johnson, eh? He said, oh, when did you last see Matt Johnson? I've loved Matt Johnson for 30 years or 35 years or 40 years or whatever he said. Anyway, he's very enthusiastic about <laughs> Matt Johnson and he starts talking to random people about how much he loves Matt Johnson and how brilliant this is going to be. In ten minutes later, Matt Johnson comes on stage and he's still talking to people about how brilliant Matt Johnson is and how much he likes Matt Johnson and how brilliant this gig is going to be. And this just carries on. And Matt Johnson is doing Sweet Bird of Truth, one of his greatest songs, and he's chatting away to some random bloke that he's just met about Matt Johnson and what he means to him. Anyway, Heartland, he's still the 51st state of the USA, that one, if you know that one. He's still going on, he's doing the beaten generation, quite a quiet (laughs) number, really good. He's still talking. Midway through the gig, the other are doing This Is The Day, and now he's intermittently talking about Matt Johnson and singing along, which is a step in the right direction. And the new people that he's sat with, who is not his mates, he's just met them, are all buying him beer every time they go to get a beer. And he's, you know, basically he's ignoring the gig and he's just talking away, occasionally singing along. And then we're nearly at the end of the gig and he does um, Infected, which is a great song, and then he does I've Been Waiting for Tomorrow All of My Life, which is probably the, the second best song. And everybody by now... Is it's obviously coming towards the end of the gig, and everybody in the crowd is standing up and singing along, apart from our mate, who is now too p- or stoned to take any of this in, and is just sitting there, frankly, you know, like a, 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 a cabbage. <laughs> and then, Matt, it's the encore now, and Matt Johnson, they go off, and it's the encore, and obviously they're going to do Uncertain Smile, which is their greatest song, and... Just before it starts, our mate gets up and goes to the toilet and he's weaving quite unsteadily and we never see him again for the encore or or, or anything. And he's missed an absolutely brilliant... The, the version of Uncertain Smile, absolutely amazing. So, if he'd really loved Matt Johnson as much as he was telling everybody he'd love Matt Johnson, this was a gig that he'd been waiting for for most of his adult, you know, his much of his adult life, about yeah. 16 years. And it was something that he'd hoped and dreamed about. And on the, I was thinking about this when I was walking back to the tube and then I was getting the train home. And something that he'd hoped and dreamed about for a long, long time <laughs> actually happened. And he didn't actually have a plan about how to deal with it. And he didn't know how to behave when it happened. And then it all went tits up. Funny, and I was it? thinking... Does that remind me of anything else? What could we learn from this tragic story? What could it be similar to? I don't know. So anyway. A friend of mine once wanted, really liked wrestling. Oh yeah. Even as an adult. Yeah, yeah. Which is a bit sad. Saved up all his money. Yeah. Still a long time ago, we were still young. Went to see Wrestlemania, or whatever it was, in New York. Oh my God. Really excited. Yeah, he's pumped. Yeah. He's got his... You know, whatever, I don't know. What do you wave at a wrestling Big match? phone finger. John 316. We always have that, <laughs> oh, don't yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, I went for a few beers, turned into a few more beers. Saw the first fight and was asked to leave for being too drunk. No. Yeah, true story. So another person who had built something up in his mind, yeah. and then when it came to it, he didn't really have a plan to do no, with it. No, no. And... Now we'll turn seamlessly to David <laughs> Davis, who in no way resembles my Dutch new Dutch friend and your friend who the WWF F, yeah, no, fan. No, but but that's because that there's been seamless. a sort of Mexican standoff, hasn't there? Brexican standoff. Bro, it's a Brexican. Hey? They see. Oh, 
still well, got the it's, old magic. It's been it's been extraordinary, hasn't it? I mean, it, it, it's, we sort of got whispers of this overnight. Now, this is to do with the um, the the backstop, basically, yeah. isn't it? And whether or not it's time limited. Yes, that's right. So I don't think it probably was. Do so. Is people do people know what the backstop is? It's it's a sort of if all else fails. Right. So this is to do with Northern Ireland and yeah. the Irish border, isn't it? Yeah. And basically, the customs David that go David around, right? Davis was threatening to resign over the this backstop, which the backstop is Theresa May's code for an extension while we work out what the to do yeah. about the Irish border. And the and the Brexiteers are concerned that if there is no time limit, we just end up staying in the customs union. Yes, exactly. And the backstop would keep the border open, wouldn't it? And mm-hmm. we'd follow the EU's tariffs yeah. and the Brexiteers and David mm-hmm. Davis would say, well, that's just like being in the customs union. So he wanted there to be a time limit. And Theresa May, we know, didn't want there to be a time limit because quite reasonably she went, the EU won't agree to there being yeah. a time limit. Yeah. And amazingly what happened turned out that David Davis threatened to resign and then amazingly what happened he didn't he didn't resign I think again it's David Davis five resignations nil now so okay so in November he was going to resign because to Boris Johnson and Michael Gove had sent that letter to Theresa May yeah. and not included him yeah then in December he was going to he was going to resign if Damien Green was sacked, and then when he was sacked he didn't resign. Yeah, funny. Then in March he was going to resign about the fishing policy, but he didn't resign. Then in May he was going to resign about the customs partnership, but he didn't resign. And now he was going to resign about the backstop, but he didn't resign. And what has happened is that he demanded a time limit, and Theresa May has just written in in sort of biro, hasn't she? Yes, I read it out. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. It says. Time limiting the agreement. The UK is clear that the temporary customs arrangement, should it be needed, should be time limited, and that it will only be in place until a future customs arrangement can be introduced. The UK is clear that the future customs arrangement needs to deliver on the commitments made in relation to Northern Ireland. The UK expects the future arrangement to be in place by the end of December 2021 at the latest. There are a range of options for how a time limit could be delivered, which the UK will be Propose and discuss with the EU, and the EU will not agree to. Yeah, it doesn't actually say that that last bit, but that's basically (laughs) what's going to happen, isn't it? So once again, isn't it? Once again, the the EU are not going to agree to a time limit, and it's just it's pointless. I mean, the the sexiest bit about this was the was the back and forth that was going on this morning. I mean, this is almost a secondary thing because it's nonsense. You might as well just throw this time limit nonsense away. Forget about it because it will need to be negotiated out at some stage. But um, but David threatens to resign. He goes to see Theresa May in her office in the Commons. Yeah. Boris and Liam Fox. They also did. Yeah. Yes. Then left. Yeah. And then we all thought he's going to resign. And there was lots of briefings going on about if he was going to resign. Yeah, is he yeah. going to resign? Lots of lots of people chatting, and it was pretty much split down the middle for people around David Davis saying. I think he's going to go, or he's definitely going to go, or he's not going to go. Don't worry about it. No one really knew what he was going to do. And then he went back. He did go back. He went yeah. back. And that's when I thought, oh, blimey, I think he's going to resign. Yes. But but he, amazingly, wow, he, he didn't resign. I think he was when holding he went out, back, though. I think he was holding out for a, for some better wording on that time-limiting clause. Exactly. 
And when he went back, I feared for the safety of Theresa May, and that's because I'd been reading a tweet by Nadine Dorries. One of my favourite tweets of the year. Nadine, the word ludicrous really should have been invented for Nadine Dorries, shouldn't it? It's if it didn't exist, tweet. you would. She is the like you say, the, the honourable lady, the ludicrous, the ludicrous lady, ludicrous lady of Brexit. Um, Nadine Dorries. She tweeted: David Davis is ex SAS. He's trained to survive. He's also trained to take people out. Hashtag Brexit. <laughs> and he's not doing a very good oh, job so of I taking him out of the EU. So I feared. So I feared for <laughs> Theresa May there because who can forget the way that when Simon Brodkin oh, leapt yeah. up at the Tory conference, David Davis just grabbed him and then snapped his neck. Yeah. Um, I, I and read then, a story about David Davis the other day where he was at some event and he arrived and got his glass of white wine. And he yes. wandered over to the edge. It was outside. He wandered over to the edge of this sort of grassed area where they were. And he just gazed out for about 10 minutes. And someone came up to me and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just analysing our defence options. <laughs> <laughs> He's a truly preposterous figure. Well, he? he is a highly trained killer, but only on a weekend. But only on a weekend. So he can she's only probably kill safe. on the weekend. She's probably None safe. Of, I mean, David Davis's cause has not been helped, has it, by the... Um, by the moment in in this week's episode of Carry On Brussels, yeah. which is the which is the documentary, um, where he was visited, uh, well, he, he visited um, David Campbell Bannerman, our friend, uh, the the Tory MEP for for the East of England. He visited um, David Campbell Bannerman in this thing, and David Campbell Bannerman is. Uh, this conversation occurred when the cameras had left the room, but the sound was still on, and I wonder if David Davis knew this. Uh, I suspect he didn't, because David Campbell-Bannerman says to him, how are the Brexit negotiations going? It's a, it's a bit tough, isn't it, basically? And David Davis said, well, I think I've been hired for my character rather than my intellect, which is, I mean, it's not really something you would put on your CV, is it? Yeah, good on, good on character, yeah. bad on intellect. Why, why are we having a row about the backstop in the first place, because I thought David Davis had, had already sorted this army of brilliant drones out that yeah. we're just going to... Well, all the technology. Oh, no. Ah. Oh, no. It didn't happen, did it? <laughs> in se- last September, he was asked about how this would all work, and he said, we, we're going to get a non-visible border operational by using the most up-to-date technology. In March, he said the border would be invisible because we've got a whole load of new technology now. Those are quotes. And then this week, or last uh, at the weekend rather, he, he came out with this new vision of the Irish border, which has got in it a 10-mile buffer zone yeah. between the... That should just be manned by people like Roger Helmer and Godfrey, <laughs> the, old, the old buffer zone. Um, and it also has in it double production lines. So every... Company in Ireland and Northern Ireland have got have run two production lines: one making stuff that conforms to the EU regulations, and one with like pins sticking out of it. And got an idea. All that. Go on. Why don't we make sure our regulations match up with the EU's? Because that's kind of where we're at now. After isn't the it? Brexit standoff, this is your second great idea of this podcast. <laughs> I'm beginning to think you should be the secretary ah. for the uh, exiting the uh, European Union. Yeah, me too. It's amazing, isn't it? He's all this technology that he said he couldn't deliver on it and now he's, you know, now we're having to argue about this time limit. 
He's, um, he's, he's, it's amazing. He's a joke, isn't he? I mean, we knew he was a, a joke total before. Joke. We knew he was a joke before all this. But, yeah. but probably the more serious point on this is that this is again proof that you know David Davis can brief that this is a victory for him, and it and, and I can understand how it can be viewed like that because if the time limit wasn't in there, he was saying it's a red line. Now all of a sudden it is because he threatens to resign. Yeah. Okay. Well, Theresa May. I mean, she's so weak. Yes, she is. And she looks ridiculous. Yes. Um, she's not handled this right, and I think the reason for that is that she wants to do everything at the last minute. She just wants to hope, do it last minute, hope it goes away. Yeah. Um, and no one will notice. She's a real fudger, isn't she? She loves a fudge. Well, this is exactly what it is again, isn't it? It's a fudge. Yeah. But she can only fudge for so long. At some point, there's going to have to act. We've been saying this for months. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just getting closer and closer. We've got the June summit. That's just going to come and go without any real movement. Nothing's going to happen gonna now, gonna is going to be, it? you know, last minute before that October summit. Yeah, I mean, this one thing that this does do, I suppose, is it put... I, I still don't believe that this would happen because it would be so obviously ruinous, is that I suppose it does put the option of us walking away, having to walk away without a deal on the ta- back on the table. Yeah. Um just simply because the EU are going to say, go away with your time limit. There isn't a time limit on this. If you want to sort it out, you should have sorted it out yourselves by now. Yeah. Um, and we will just continue, and we're not going to work towards your time limit. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, another incredible moment, and, and another week wasted, isn't it, in the... Yeah. It's just ongoing farce. It, is, it really is. It really is becoming. Well, it's not even becoming, is it? It's just nonsensical. I mean, I, I, this was hilarious this morning. Yeah. But because if you don't laugh, you will cry. I mean, that's, yeah, the, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's all fine, isn't it? Because next week on Tuesday, like you're going to talk about with Jerry, yeah. Labour are going to all join in and they're going to vote for the Lord's Amendment, aren't they? And then, <laughs> then, and then we're going to stay in the. We're going to stay in the single market, all fine. the EEA, and it'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hang on, no, we know that we're no. not going to, are we? No. Well, Labour could have defeated the government on the EEA, I think. Yeah. Because we've got 13 Tory rebels saying they would have voted with them. Yeah. But, alas. But no. Let's talk about Mr Corbyn then. Well, people complain on this podcast that we're not balanced about Jeremy Corbyn, so I would like to say that he told quite a good joke about network rail in Prime Minister's questions. Do you know what? I thought he was good on... PMQs. I had him as a 2-0 winner. Yeah, 2-0, that's good. So that was the plus side. He told a good joke and you thought he was a 2-0 winner. But he didn't tie his tie tight enough. It really annoys (laughs) me that he doesn't tie... I I just want to go, Jeremy, come here and let me sort your tie out. Didn't David Cameron tell him that his mum wanted him to smarten himself up or something like that? Yeah. That was... was It seems so long ago now. I wonder what he's doing now in his wheelie shed, as Theresa May called it. He's taken up smoking. Is he having a fag? Yeah, yeah. He's taking, he said he, he spoke at the uh, 22. He's taking he? up smoking. And Do you he think said, he's on he the old... I won't go that like far. My Dutch friend. <laughs> I mean, Could that have been know. him? His wife was into trip hop. She was into trip hop. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, she was. I, I think probably not. No. Um, but he, do, he likes it. He likes the old uh, bit of back here, yeah? Festival season's coming up as well, so he'll be... Oh, he could be there, couldn't yeah. he? Yeah. He'll be wearing his, wearing his sandals down the front. He will. He's, he's the barber in his sandals, yeah. yeah. So, good joke. Good joke. Well done, Jeremy. Yeah. The downside, told his MPs to vote against the amendment to keep us in the EEA. Yeah. Uh, 
tabled a totally specious amendment of his own to the Brexit bill, which has got no chance of succeeding and it would be rejected by Brussels even if it did yeah. somehow manage to pass. He's therefore guaranteed that all the hard work that the Lords have done is total waste. Yeah. And he's guaranteed that the worst of Brexit is coming to you and me and you and you and you and you and everybody here. Jeremy will fix it and for you and you and yeah. you. Yeah. And for all his talk about standing up for the poorest and the most desperate people uh, in society, which clearly is, does come from a genuine place, he's done it because he doesn't think that he can sell freedom of movement to Labour voters in Labour Leave seats. I think it's even. I think it's even deeper than that. I think he doesn't think that he can enact one nation socialism while we're in the EU. Well, I mean, we've already shown, haven't we, in previous. Previous uh, episodes of this podcast that that is a fallacious argument, but never mind. I mean, oh, it's quite. just it's re- it's just really sad. Uh, um, you know. I think with the whole the whole we're being let down hugely by by a government which is got no power and is freewheeling towards one of the most important decisions yeah. that will that this country will ever face. Um, but we're also being let down by an opposition that isn't acting as an opposition. And I think that comes from the top. I actually have got a lot of time for Keir Starmer, and I think I really do think he must go home and scream every night. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll be. It'll be fascinating to read the memoirs of uh, Keir Starmer about this period, um, because I'm sure that he's trying to, you know, reverse ferry Labour all the time, and he's just getting nowhere with it. But I yeah, dread, yeah, yeah. I, but imagine if it was a proper Corbynista in his job. I mean, goodness knows, they probably would have just come out for. For all out for leave, by all now. out for yeah, yeah, a harder Brexit. Yeah. The other weird thing about Corbyn this week was was that um, I don't know if you've seen this now. I know you hadn't seen it when we were talking about it the other day, but Tracy Ullman has got a new show. She put on prosthetics and she did an impression of uh, Jeremy Corbyn on, and they um, Corbyn Easters, a, a small band of Corbyn Easters, lost their minds about this and said. Um, it was terrible, and uh, they said they looked up people who were involved with the show on Twitter, and they started having a go at them. And David Baddiel was dragged into it because he—they said he was the author of the sketch. And then this whole row about anti-Semitism exploded again um, because in the sketch there's a rabbi in the sketch, yeah. and it all exploded again. And it's going on days later, despite the fact that within about. A minute of the original tweet being sent, David Baddiel had, had gone on Twitter to say, actually, I didn't write this sketch. Um, the loony end of this argument appears to be that Corbyn is so genuine and sincere that he should be immune from satire. And um, there's a, a guy from Momentum, or a Momentum supporter, um, said that they, you know, the producers should be sued and there was all talk about this being BBC propaganda... And it was. I just found it really hard to look at all of those tweets and say there is no cult of Corbyn. I know. You know, I don't think it's a a huge mass cult. And I, I, clearly, I think that there are a lot, quite a lot of people in momentum who are having second thoughts about Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but there is definitely a cult of that. It, it, it's an extraordinary thing to see, and I, we spoke about this um, after conference. But there is a definite personality cult, which is very dangerous. That he literally can't do anything wrong, mm. you know. And the, the the speech that he gave at conference, seventy three minutes. Mm. I mean, even his own front bench were starting to, yeah, yeah, um, starting to as he wandered off into all kinds of places that he probably shouldn't have. 
and yet the rapturous applause at the end was extraordinary. And if you'd have spoke to most of the people in there, they would have told you it was the most great, greatest moment of their life to be in the same room. Yeah. It? it's very odd. It is really odd. I um, mean, one of the people was it a good impression? So there are two bits to this. So, so um, was it a good impression? The prosthetics don't look like Jeremy Corbyn, right? And the voice is not like Jeremy Corbyn, and the, the sort of the. I don't know the mannerisms, the the, the cadence, of the way he, Jeremy Corbyn speaks. Yes, she hasn't got that. The sketch itself, which people said it wasn't funny, was funny. Right, it so was, Badil's in the clear. It was Badil. It, it was really yeah, Badil's in the clear. <laughs> it was really well written. It had a couple of really good lines in it. But Tracy Ullman's no good. And and it it quali- yeah, but. You know, as a as a satire of Jeremy Corbyn, it qualified as a satire. It was amazing to me to have one of the producers was somebody was having a go at one of the producers. You know, I think bizarrely happened to be a woman. So funny that, isn't it? And um, they and she, they she said we've got to be a, an equal opportunities piss taker if you're in the satire game. But it's really weird that there are all these Corbyn true believers and and. People and and he is a very charismatic man, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is a charismatic man. Yet, him and his, himself and his own cult won't back him to change the mind of Labour voters yeah. on immigration and save the country from this yeah. utter catastrophe, which is going to really affect Labour voters. Jeremy Corbyn is as much to blame as anyone. He is right now for everything. <laughs> well, I'm thinking more about the Brexit mess, but all um, oh, right, okay. No, I mean. He, like you say, he's a he's a he's a very polite, very nice man. I can understand why people like him, but there is, you know, he, he's he's not really leading a, a decent opposition. I've got to say this, you know, let's see what comes to pass on Super Tuesday. Super there's, Tuesday, there's quite, Super we, Tuesday. Yeah, there's yeah, quite Jim. a lot of time left yet for for little shifts, isn't there? And and I, you know, I'm hoping so. But after this, that there's got to be other people like me who will be going. Why should I possibly vote for a Labour Party Absolutely. led by Jeremy Corbyn ever again? Yeah, yeah. Because of because of what he's about to do. And there's surely enough people thinking that and and swing voters yeah. to win a general election. Well, hopefully, yeah. So I maybe yeah. Labour can dump their leader and get a decent one. Yeah. Now, I tell you what, we've not mentioned him on this podcast for quite a while. Oh, right. But... And I know you. I know that you were keen on on, on this guy. But what? when I was coming into work this morning, I I, I was you know I live quite near in the Weatherspoons, near yeah. where a Weatherspoons pub, yeah. a Tim yeah. Martin uh, Brexity Weatherspoons pub, yeah. and I was just passing there, and there was a Dalek. Oh, the Dalek! He was sitting outside. Was he waiting, queuing? And he was he was sitting on the step queuing. He obviously needed a drink. His little yeah. plunger was shaking. <laughs> And uh, but it wasn't open yet. It was still about you know seven thirty, so it was not quite open yet. No. spoon. And it, when I passed him, I saw in front of this Dalek a copy of Thursday's Daily Mail, and it was open to a page. And the headline on the page read, "The greatest editor of his generation." Yeah. And there was a picture of an old man smiling, and you could tell from the smile that smiling was not something that this old man <laughs> did very uh, did very often he was used to doing and as i got closer to the dalek i could hear him just mumbling something over and over again in his dalek voice and i pulled out my phone and i recorded it yeah. and I, I hope i can share it with you now 
self-consumed malcontents, crush the saboteurs, enemies of the people, traitors in ermine, damn the unpatriotic remoners and their plot to subvert the will of the British people. Godspeed you, Mr. Dacre. You are a hero to the Daleks. Exterminate! Exterminate! So he was quite aerated, it seemed, about the, the, the retirement of Paul Dacre. He obviously the, hit the booze last night, hadn't he, when the news broke. The editor of the Daily Mail, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So farewell His then. little copy of the Daily Mail was all stained with metal tears. Really? Yeah. Stained with metal tears? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds like... I thought you it's, were going to go all uh, end that, of Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, so Paul Dacre. Mr Dacre. He's moving upstairs, isn't he? Yeah. What's your view of Paul Dacre? Well, he's got a nice office. He's got has he got a lovely office? Oh, it's incredible. What do we know about his office? It's huge. Yeah. What's it not got in it? It's not got a computer in yeah, it. Yeah, it's got not got he's the editor of the Daily Mail and he in nominally in charge of Mail Online. I think he actually does I mean it's it's many years since I was in his office, but I, I think it does have a sort of big old cleaning, will you? <laughs> but yeah. Big old, you know, monitor and... Um, right, OK. But I think it's just sort of to one side. Yeah. And very comfy sofas. Yes. I remember being hung over in there one time and sitting on the sofa and thinking I could just sleep here and thinking, don't, don't do that. He's In terms of results, he's a hugely successful editor, isn't he? Well, purely on newspaper sales and, yeah. um, and what he's achieved for the brand, yes, there's... I mean, the only... The only person I could suggest that comes anywhere close is his predecessor, Sir David English. Yeah. Certainly modern history. I mean, Hugh Cudlip possibly if we go back a bit further. But um, you know, newspapers tend to get new editors once every three or four years these days, don't they? Yeah. Um, especially the the tabloids. But, you know, he's done the same thing. He's stuck to his vision, whether you like it or not. 26 years he did, didn't he? 27, I think. 27 yeah. years. And, you know, he, 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 he gave a certain... Type of little Englander, what they wanted yeah, yeah, every, yeah. every morning. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, why are they being so nice about Paul Dacre? <laughs> We're going to continue to be. It's a job vacancy. <laughs> reasonable about Paul Dacre for I don't know how long it's going to last. Probably in about another hundred and twenty seconds. Then there will be. I will say the word bot. Right. And then we will start. Okay. If you want to fast forward it, that's that's fine by me. <laughs> Put us on double speed. I will say that the the the, the most successful, the most successful, the uh, critically the, the the most successful and the best newspapers and magazines, websites, whatever else you want to talk about, have got for me have got that singularity of vision, yeah. clear tone. You, you feel like you're in a club. You feel yeah. like somebody is talking directly to you and reflecting your life. And the readers are all members of a club. And the Daily Mail clearly accomplished that under. Paul Dacre, yeah, and uh, and look, and he is a hugely successful editor in terms of results. I think the success, which people don't really talk about, has got to be measured in the fact that the owners of the Daily Mail outspend uh, yes. all of their uh, all of their contemporaries, all of their rivals. I, you know, I think I'm right in saying that the Daily Mail doesn't even make as much profit as the Daily Mirror, which is a far less successful newspaper. Yeah. And Mail Online has never really made a profit no. or a significant profit. The, the the owners of the Daily Mail are prepared to throw money at it, and they've got the you know they've got 
very good staff. They've got the best stories from freelancers. They've got yep. the best photos. The sports section is really great. Lee Clayton's a very, very good sports editor. And when you see the Mail on Saturday, which is the biggest selling edition of any newspaper now, a British newspaper, it is packed. Once you hold your nose and wade through the, the sort of effluvia at the, at the front, it is a really, uh, it's jam-packed with really good stuff. And so they crush others with their budget, like, you know, Mr Dacre wanted to crush the saboteurs. Um, so they, he's really good at his job, clearly, and so is Martin Clark, who's the editor of Mail Online, but they have had a bit of a leg up. Shall we say, that, like what everybody says, the work in Stephen Lawrence, well Stephen done. Stephen Lawrence, there's other bits. The campaigns, a, the yeah, plastic yeah. campaign, yeah. which is obviously when he was best. Now. When his campaigns were best were the ones you didn't expect him to go after. I mean, why the plastic thing? Yes. Everyone thought he'd gone mad. Yes. And now it's everywhere. And the Stephen Lawrence thing, the murderous front page is... And it was an incredible moment for British journalism. Like the Daily Mail or not, that was brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Now it's time to say, but <laughs> I mean, into you mentioned David English before, but I would say that in terms of sales and having that consistency of tone and being the paper that everybody talked about in the morning, everyone went, "Oh, have you seen this?" And being like a club that all the readers were in. The best other editor of a tabloid paper in the last 40 years is is Kelvin McKenzie of The Sun, if you take it on those measures. And Kelvin McKenzie of The Sun ran a newspaper which I think everyone will agree now was racist, sexist, homophobic, and for all the sort of cheeky fun that they did, the curse of the crime boy and all that kind of stuff, it was disgusting on a regular basis and it did abysmal things uh, and Hillsborough is a great advantage a great example of that and and even though Paul Dacre has run a paper that kept Gary McKinnon out of a federal prison and it did the stuff for the victims of the Omar bombings mm. and all of that the campaigns that he really deserves to be remembered for are the one that is running now, which is against you and me and everybody else who doesn't want anything to do with Brexit and the fact that he calls us all Ramonas and traitors and malcontents, and then the campaign that he ran before the referendum, which is shut up about now. Now it's now he's successfully um, uh, done what he, he sought out to do, but the campaign was the campaign that had headlines. like These are all headlines from the Daily Mail before the referendum. The swarm on our streets... One million more migrants on the way. Migrants spark housing crisis. Foreign workers get three in four new jobs. 4,000 foreign murderers and rapists we can't throw out. You know, and so it's irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant that he, one, he's a, he's a hip, that he's also a hypocrite who rails against EU budget waste and takes loads of subsidies for his farm. And it's almost irrelevant that he's a bully and an unpleasant man who ruled his staff by fear, like Kelvin McKenzie. What is really relevant is the fact that he's nudge nudging to the very those with those headlines to the very worst aspects of the British character, and he's appealing to the very worst bits of our natures. And you know, and he did that. That's what the Daily Mail does every day under Paul Dacre, sniping away at you know elites and celebrities and all the people he doesn't like, health and safety, sexual equality, racial equality, loony left school teachers. You know, anyone that doesn't agree, anyone, anything that doesn't chime with his vision of a perfect Britain in the 1950s was fair game for Paul Dacre. But all those attitudes will go in time, just like Brexit will go. And Paul Dacre going is the start of that. So goodbye and good riddance to Paul Dacre. Have you been invited to his leaving drinks? No. <laughs> the Daleks going. <laughs> 
Okay. Anyway. Good. Okay. Um, runners and riders. Who's going to get the job? Uh, well, who could it be? Uh, I don't think Martin Clark will get it. I don't either. Geordie Gregg. He's the editor of the Mail on Sunday. Another one of my former editors. Yes. I, well, I think I, I think he would be good, but of course he's, he's, he's a, a Remainer. <laughs> Tony Gallagher back from the Sun. Oh, you just, Gallagher. You just don't know. I'm just, as somebody once said, I'm just going to just rejoice for the time being. Oh, my money's on Greg. Good old Geordie. Good old Geordie. Right, Jerry next. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to the New European. Your first 13 issues of the New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting podcast one. Or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Welcome back. I'm joined by Jerry. Hello. How excited are you about Super Tuesday? So excited. I'm going to get the coffee in, the Haribo on. Oh, never mind it. Coffee? Get the beers in. All right, Jin. Get the beers in, you'll need it. (laughs) 12 hours of pure... Brexit heaven. Oh. <laughs> 15 amendments. Get the big screen on. 15 amendments. Yep. Um, you've picked three in particular. Yeah, I've, I've picked the three big ones, I think. Go on um, then. Kick us off. All right, all right, all right, all right. I mean, I guess the first thing is is that people are talking, aren't they, and saying this could be the end of Theresa May or trigger another general election. I really don't think it's going to be. No, I agree with you. I think, um, I think that the, if the end... If and when the end comes for Theresa May, if it's in a messy leadership challenge, yeah. Yeah. it's going to come from the Brexiteers. Yeah. But um, but I just wonder. I don't think it's going to come from from losing votes in the in the in the Commons. No, I don't. I don't. Um, so yeah, these there's the three most important ones, and for me, they are the single market, the customs union and um, the meaningful vote. Okay, so let's start on the single market. What does the amendment say so the amendment that the uh lords want is uh, demanding that britain stays in um the eea essentially um so that's the norway model it is the norway model and it's also about accepting free movement of people okay um i don't think this is going to be a problem for the mm. government why not jeremy corbyn doesn't want it either yeah labor have ruled it out um and actually even if corbyn did support it which he doesn't there are, you know, MPs like Ed Miliband who doesn't support it either. They think if we're coming out, well, free movement's got to end. Well, so. I mean, the the um, the Remainers, the Labour Remainers, Chucker mm-hmm. and the um, and the Open Britain lot, and of course Subri and yeah, um, from the Tories and, and Servins from the Lib Dems, um, kind of th- suggested that this is a bit of a drop ball. This new Labour, I spoke about it with yeah. Steve, but this new this the, the Labour's new stance on this because. This was potentially, if Labour were whipped, a really good chance to defeat the government. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned um, that kind of group of people, because in the Telegraph, um, they said that, uh, you know, there are about 70 70, um, MPs who would want to back this Lord's Amendment on on the single market. Yeah. Um, But I don't think, unless they can bring the whole party with them, that they're going to have any success. And they can't bring the whole party with them. 
even the Norwegian PM said it was a bad idea. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. <laughs> so I've been I've been talking about Tuesday. Just as an aside, I've been calling it Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. I'm a big fan of American sports. Yes. So like foam fingers. Is that what uh, you're going to have on yeah, Tuesday? Yeah. All that kind of thing. Hot dogs, <laughs> fried onions. Yes. But, but the, what have the Telegraph called? Uh, tyrannical Tuesday. That's I like a, that as well. No, I don't, oh, that's I like a push. It. What's tyrannical about it? Well, I mean, 15 votes. It could be there till 3 a.m. I know, but what, what, who is the tyrant? I mean, take a pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. So so we reckon that the Prime Minister is safe on that. Safe on that one, It I would reckon. be a real turn-up, wouldn't it? Oh, imagine. And, and embarrassing for Corbyn as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, and then we've got the customs union. Yeah, so this one's this one is the one that I think people uh, uh, think is most dangerous. But you've taken a slightly different view on that, haven't you? Yeah, and I can see why people think that because this is where the Lords and the Labour front bench are in agreement. Um, they they basically want to apply the EU's common external tariff. They want to benefit from EU trade deals, and they really don't give a damn whether that you know causes problems for Liam Fox when he's trying yeah. to negotiate with other countries. Yeah. Um, I don't... I don't think this is dangerous. It is supported by enough Tory MPs to defeat the government, but I don't think they're going to do it. Mm. And the reason I don't think they're going to do it is because there is no teeth behind this amendment. That It merely means that Theresa May is going to have to report on her efforts to secure a customs union. Mm. And, you know, that report could be... Does well, that, it's not gone well. Yeah. You know. Equally, though, if she's got to report on her efforts to secure a customs union, then yeah. at least at least we're getting updates on the fact that she is trying to secure one. Yeah. So possibly guards against a hard Brexit. Potentially. And, um, of course, there are people who don't want a customs union. Yes, there are, absolutely. And Some I, quite dangerous people, for Theresa May, in fact. Yeah, and I do think that, you know, that it could damage her and it could be embarrassing any but I don't defeat think will it'd... damage yeah, her yeah, yeah. absolutely um, and if the government does lose that vote it does kind of suggest they might have to accept customs union later on kind of be forced into you it you kind of think that if Theresa May can survive a defeat like that then she'd yeah. probably be quite pleased yes because you know they're, they're, it would make everyone's life yeah. So much easier if there was a, some kind of customs union. But and my... she painted herself into that corner by saying, "Though we will be withdrawing from the single market and the customs union." Stupid. And then a few months down, I thought, "You know, I should have just waited and I just 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 held yeah. my horses on that one." But I really think that it's going to be amendments to the trade bill and the customs bill, kind of further down the line, yeah. where there's going to be a chance for the rebels to hit the government where it hurts on that. I don't think they're going to risk it with this one okay if there's nothing behind it okay so the big one for you the big one for me is the meaningful vote right tell me about that um so i think as we've probably said before when we've talked about the meaningful vote um this there is already something about a meaningful vote in the bill dominic Mm -hmm. grieve put it in obviously pro-european as we know tory rebel um and that was when the government was defeated back in december yep but the Lord's Amendment goes further, and it's more complicated, you'll be shocked to know. <laughs> okay. Um, and it sets a series of deadlines, basically, for Brexit negotiations, um, starting with November 18th. November the 18th. November the 18th, remember that day. Um, and after then, the government's got to follow any direction in relation to negotiations approved by a resolution 
of the House of Commons. And what that essentially means is that the Commons will be taking over negotiations and voting on a lot a lot more detail than than is kind of you know. So that would basically mean that the that Parliament would take over because Theresa May has failed. Yeah, and I think because she'd that would be beyond on. October. Yeah, and she'd carry on, but she'd have an extremely weak hand, I think. But how, how could she possibly? Because she would have missed that. She would have that summit would have been gone in October. Yeah. When negotiations are supposed to end. Yeah. So that's there as a backstop to make sure that Parliament can can take over and not let her, you know, not let the mess continue, isn't it, Shirley? I think the reason she'd carry on is even if you got a staunch Brexiteer like Michael Gove in, I don't think he'd be in any of a better position because there's still that majority in the House of Commons for a slightly softer Brexit yeah. than has already been offered. Yeah. Um, so where She'll it's never Theresa stand May down, never. this woman. She'll oh, no. cling on. And, yeah. uh, and do you know There's part of me that is quietly admires that. Like, she's just <laughs> fingernails yeah. are dug into the window ledge there, aren't she? Yeah. She's not letting to go. To the bitter ends. I tell you what, though, I wrote about this the other week. I almost think she should just call a leadership election and go, all right then, who, who want? Come on, outside in Downing Street, who fancies Come it? on then, if you think you're hard enough. Because I don't think any... They don't really want Boris it, and not Gove right and the, No, Boris, it's too close now for yeah. Boris and Gove and the serious players. If Rhys Mogg stands, he won't get the MPs, I don't no. think, to topple through to me. No, I agree. Anyway, I agree. so that's another aside. Right, so... So I think that's the most dangerous one for, for, for the Prime Minister. Again, I don't think run, it means she'll... I don't think it means she'll be out... You know, so out, out door, but out, which way are they ever going to vote on that? I think it's very complicated. This now. it is really complicated, and I think it's really difficult for Labour. I don't know if you heard um, Jenny Chapman accusing the Tories of wanting to railroad the bill through Parliament. Well, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's extraordinary, yeah. absolutely extraordinary that we're getting twelve hours to debate. Absolutely, yeah, it is. It is, but Labour have, still haven't got their stance on it in order, and. So this new stance, you you don't think that they, they've quite nailed uh, it still? No, I still don't think they've Is got it. Is that because there's such... Well, the, I mean, Kia said, as um, myself and Steve have been talking about, Kia said, you know, well, listen, I'll be honest, the reason we can't really take a view on this is because no one agrees. Exactly. So, and I, and, I, and I get that, and at least that is honest, yeah, but... God, it's a shambles, isn't it? It really is. It really is a shambles. Although... Um, Stronger this week from Corbyn on Brexit at PMQs, I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're quite right. And, um, you know, when he fired back with, uh, I thought this was supposed to be Prime Minister's question time, it's, yeah. it's quite right. It's quite I thought right. his question about Super Tuesday, we yep. need a jingle, Super oh. Tuesday. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So his, his question on that, and are we going to see this white paper? Yep. And then, well, well if not we by Tuesday, it? we're going to see it by something in June. The answer to both those things is, well, is anyone writing the white paper? <laughs> Do you remember the white paper? Anyone? <laughs> Now, will we ever see that white paper? I, I think, yeah, eventually, but I don't think it'll be what people want or are expecting, or it's never going to be. It's never going to be. Out of David Davis's office, there'll be no chance. <laughs> so, what do you reckon? What will be, come Wednesday morning, yeah. and we're tuning into today's programme, yeah. bleary eyes, <laughs> full of soaked. hot dogs, still, <laughs> still wearing my foam hands. What can. What can we expect the headline to be? Uh, a hang-on by the government again. But I wouldn't... I don't think I'd really be surprised if that meaningful vote stuff doesn't go their way. Um, 
I really think there's an appetite in the Commons to be more involved and have more yeah, of a say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you think that they they think they're going to lose some votes? I definitely think they're going to lose some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, in you know looking at defeats over the last few weeks, months, I think it's inevitable that they lose some. Whether it's the three biggins, we'll have to wait and see. But, um, but there's no way that they're going to they're going to um, this amendment that the Labour front bench have put down. Yeah, uh, that's not going to be backed because the, the no. Tory rebels aren't going to back an amendment no, 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 from no, no, a no. Labour front bench. No. no, no. Um, personally, I think we'll get to Wednesday. We'll get to Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and what what we'll actually have, like you say, is you know some embarrassing defeats for the government, but they they plod on. Yeah. As as this whole saga has been yeah. overshadowed I mean, by. That, we've how many times have we predicted the demise of Theresa May? And she has plodded on. I yep. think she will carry on doing the same. Um, Jerry, that's very interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will. Hey, maybe we do Super Tuesday the review next week. Yes. Great. Brilliant. See you next week. Brexiteer of the week. Steve, Brexiteer of the week time. It's a. There's 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 so many of them, but I'm gonna let's let's rattle through this quickly. I want to start with Michael Gove because I thought this story would be picked up, but it's not really been picked up. The Gover. Two years on, the old big red lie bus. He was joint head of that. Vote Leave campaign, wasn't he, with was, Boris? Yeah. Campaign built on falsehoods and uh, and obviously driven around the country on a bus with a massive £350 million a week lie on it. Uh, and two years later, he has finally admitted that he could have done things better during the referendum. That's a quote. I could have done things better. Now... Where did he say this? Because I, I must have missed the tear-stained press conference where he admitted that it had all been lies. He, he didn't say it to the, to the public. He didn't say it to you and me. He said it when he was running down a street in West London and Damon Albarn was outside his studio, presumably having a fag or something like that, Yeah. and Michael Gove ran past him and... Damon Albarn shouted something unpleasant at him and Michael Gove came back for a chat and said... In retrospect, I'd, you know, I would have done things a lot different. You think you went, oi! But it'd be nice, yeah. <laughs> you cut down on your Brexit life, mate. It'd be nice if he apologised to us, wouldn't it, rather than just to members of Blue. You know what, he's so polite, he probably would. Do you think he's? He probably goes to Alex James's big cheese fest, doesn't big he? So maybe he's fest. going to maybe he's going to apologise to him next, uh, and Britpop grown and up. get on to Coxon and Roundtree at a later date. I anyway. saw Roundtree the other day. Yeah, he lives around here, doesn't yeah, he, Roundtree? Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's a very nice man, too. Uh, let's move on now to um, Lord Digby Jones. Somebody needs to give Lord Digby Jones a little shove because I think he's he's just got stuck. His little internal uh, <laughs> CD player has just got a bit stuck because he keeps tweeting <laughs> the same thing again. Brexit means the British people escaping the tyranny of unelected, unaccountable Brussels, he tweeted on the 31st of May. Voters don't want unelected, unaccountable Brussels telling them what to do, he tweeted two days later. And then uh, a couple of days ago, he said we must get out of the Brussels regime, which is unaccountable and unelected. Now, look, there's a clue, isn't there, for Digby Jones, in the words Lord Digby Jones. Yeah. But I've got a little (laughs) question for you. Can you think of any other unelected and unaccountable bodies that Lord Digby Jones might be a part of? Uh, Red seats, uh, decent central London location, ooh. subsidised wine list, uh, 305 quid a day just for turning up. Mm, don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, Daniel Hannan. Let's turn to Hannan. Daniel Hannan. 
Dan Hanan, the man, uh, he suggested in the EU Parliament the other day that part of the reason why Switzerland, which obviously is landlocked, are so financially successful is that they're outside of the common fisheries policy. <laughs> he actually said that it's partly because they're outside the common Brilliant. fisheries policy. And you were wondering why they call him the brain of Brexit. And talking <laughs> of brains of Brexit, Ian Duncan Smith, he, uh, he came out fighting last week, didn't he? He said... If you don't like Brexit, find somewhere else to live. Well, that would have been quite a lot easier to achieve, wouldn't it, for us snowflakes, if Ian Duncan Smith and his mates hadn't just taken away the right to live and work in 27 other countries in the EU. Yeah. Not really thought that one through, have you? But the Brexiteer of the Week is Nigel Farage. He hasn't been the Brexiteer of the Week for a while. For a while, no, brilliant. Uh, The nicotine stained man frog. He's changed his tune about the benefits of Brexit, hasn't yes, he? Did he you has. see this? Yes. And on the 29th of May, he told listeners of his terrible show on LBC, I never promised that Brexit would be a huge success. I never said it would be a beneficial thing to leave and everyone would be better off. Uh, which is fine. So he never said that it would be a beneficial thing to leave and everyone would be better off. So... How do you then explain your tweet from the 10th of the 6th, 16, where you said, we will be safer and better off outside the EU? Right, contradictory. Or 23rd of February in 16, British workers will be better off outside the EU. Right. Or the Telegraph column from June uh, the 16th in 2015. An EU exit would mean Britain could fulfil her global economic potential. It is a terribly exciting proposition. And then the column that you wrote for the Express uh, two days and one month later, outside the EU, Great Britain would not only survive but thrive and become a beacon of hope for other countries too. But he never said that it would be beneficial thing to leave and everyone would be better off. He was dropping some big hints though, wasn't he? Nigel Farage, <laughs> liar, nicotine stained man frog, <laughs> idiot, Brexiteer of the week. Congratulations, Nigel. What should the listener do now? Uh, you can follow the New European on Twitter yeah. at the New European. You can join our new Facebook group, uh, or you can just follow us on Facebook. Yeah. If you like this podcast, and frankly, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I was on fire. I thought you were all right. I was all right. Um, you can give us a wonderful star rating on your podcatcher of choice yeah, and leave us a lovely review. If you leave us lovely reviews, we'll move up the rankings. All will be well in the world. Um, you can follow me on Twitter if you like. I am at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Or you can follow me at Porritt, P-O-R-R-I-T-T. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. It is an absolute pleasure to see our listener figures continue to grow. It warms our hearts in these dark days. Please go and buy the paper. It is £2.50. There's tons of stuff in there. Politics, Brexit, as you would expect. But lots of great culture, art, fashion, you name it, it's in there. Until this time next week, I shall leave you with those incredible bagpipes of Mr Campbell's. (laughs) 